the rest of us, we will be continuing in the book of John. And today we are looking at one of the great famous interactions in the book of John, uh, Jesus' interactions with Nicodemus. Now, Nicodemus, he's a religious leader, and he's come to discuss Jesus by night. And John recounts this conversation between the two of them. All right. Why should we care about the conversation between a religious leader and Jesus Christ? All right. First, because the way we interpret Nicodemus and this passage, uh, it matters. It has implications on how we, uh, on our hearts and the way we interact with Jesus and the way we, uh, we think about being a believer or not a believer. Uh, this is important stuff. Uh, second, through Nicodemus, we're going to learn more about the kingdom of God and how to enter it. How do we, how do we actually go to heaven? How do we enter into a kingdom of eternal life? And finally, uh, we're going to learn about our Savior and who he is and who he uh, presents himself to be uh, through his testimony and through his witness. So uh, let's read John 2, verses 23 through 315 small chunk here, and then we'll uh, talk about it. So, John 2. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them, because he knew all people, and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in a man. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of that which we know, and bear witness to what we have seen, and you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So we're going to walk through three things here. We're going to see a spiritual assessment of Nicodemus. We're going to see the spiritual qualifications to enter the kingdom of God, as Jesus just said. And then finally, the, the spiritual resume of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, 
We thank you for this conversation. We thank you for using it to reveal to us our own hearts, uh, the darkness in man, Father, the, the calling to truly enter the kingdom of God and the, the high standards you have set, and Father, for revealing to us the means of that salvation in Jesus Christ. Would you help us understand these things? Would you help us to apply them well to our hearts? Father, would we see these words and not leave them behind and forget what they say? but would we see them and do them and live according to them? We pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So we begin by looking at uh, this spiritual assessment of Nicodemus. Where is he coming from spiritually? And you notice we went a little bit further back to do that. We looked at uh, verse 23. Now, when Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. All right, that's good. All right, people are seeing the signs, and believing in his name. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. All right. So this is a context that sits just before the story of Nicodemus. People were coming to Jesus and they were believing in his name based upon miracles. But even so, Jesus does not entrust himself to them. He sees that their faith is, is fickle. So he does not bear his soul to them. He doesn't reveal to them the, the pearls of knowledge and wisdom and truth that he possesses as the, the true son of God. He doesn't give himself over to them. Why? Because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Jesus knew people. He knew people and he knew what was in them. He knew their insincerity. He knew their self-deception. He knew that they were conniving and crafty. He knew that they were sinful and wicked, and evil, even beyond their own self-understanding. Jeremiah 17, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And it answers, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Now, I remember uh, in seminary, we have the, the practical theology professors. They're supposed to help us be a little bit uh, less green uh, when we went out into the world. And he, one of the things that our professor said, he said, uh, you will not understand the depth of sin that you encounter as a pastor. It will shock you. And I can tell you all these stories, and yet you will still be shocked. You will still be naive until you really experience it. You do not know what is in man. And many of you probably have, have experienced it and seen it and been shocked. And I've seen some and been shocked. And Jesus was not shocked. Jesus was not surprised. Jesus 
knew that he couldn't just cast the mysteries of his divinity before people. He knew that he couldn't just accept that people believed in his miracles and surely they would become believers forever. No, he wasn't that naive. He didn't put himself in the hands of sinners because he knew what they would do with him. Now, as we think about that, we have to ask, oh, okay, do we know what is in man? Or are we still naive or ignorant or shocked? Do we think that this place is without sin? Are we shocked by it? Or do we know, no, this is, this is a place where sinners are. The real depth of sin and depravity is here. We go into the world and we expect people to have false motives, to be self-deceived or to deceive us, to hide their, their true hearts, and to have darkness deep, deep in their hearts. We have to wrestle with the fact that in the hearts of every person, is a not just a not just evil, but a desire for evil, a love for evil, to delight in wickedness for wickedness's sake, to like it more for its sin, and to be willing to to betray. And that's the reality of of man. As we go out into the world, are we are we naive to that reality? And the more important question, are you naive to that reality in your very own heart? Do you know what is in you as man? That you sin countless times in a day without even realizing it. That even redeemed people still commit intentional sin, hide it from themselves, and cannot see it. That we make excuses or play the victim when, when we are sinners, actively sinning against others. Now, as we think about all these things, uh, this, isn't, this shouldn't be shocking news. And you think about yourself and your motives, and you think, okay, what, what happened in that interaction? The, inter the, the underlying thing would be like, I, I should probably assume some sin, because I know I am a man, I know what is a man. I should, I should assume that there are probably wicked things in me. I should assume that my heart was running after things that weren't right. I should, I should take that for granted. So I know what is in man. Right. Now, that's not the main point here, but that's the context that leads us into the introduction of a man. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night. It was how many times we're saying man here. We just established what is in man. And this man is a Pharisee, a ruler of the Jews. John's thinking his, his audience has probably some understanding of what happened to Jesus, that these Pharisees were the ones who hated Jesus, were his enemies, and who killed him. Who brought him to the cross. And so he is a man, and he comes to them, to Jesus, by night. All right, John, John mentions that detail, and he's already talked about darkness. 
and the light. Remember John 1.5, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not comprehended it. The assumption is that if, if you're in darkness, you're not comprehending the light that is Jesus. So we have a man who comes to Jesus by night and the assumption is, all right, this is someone who cannot be trusted to someone lost in the darkness and not even able to see it. Encountering uh, the light of the world. Now, in light of how lost he is, let's look at his first statement. He said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one could do these signs that you do unless God is with him. All right. Careful. Most people talk about Nicodemus and they summarize it like this. They say, this is a Pharisee who goes to ask and, and ask Jesus questions because he's curious about who Jesus is. All right, look at, this, look at this thing. Is that a question? No. He is not curious about Jesus. He is not asking questions about Jesus. What is he doing? He has come to tell Jesus what we know. He's a representative of the Pharisees. They have looked at his miracles, and they've decided exactly who he is, and we have decided you are a teacher. All right. A teacher come from God. That's good. All right. Are you, all right what do you think of this assessment of Jesus? Eh. Good? Good. Let's see. Uh, mm. <laughs> a little shy. There we go. Yeah, that's a little shy. That's a, that's a great understatement. That's, uh... All right, there's other things he could have said. Way better things. Like, a prophet is better. Still woefully inadequate, but that's better. He could say, the prophet. You are the prophet. We talked about that. They would come after Moses. That would be pretty good. He could say, the Messiah. Also pretty good. God incarnate. The son of God, son of man, the son of David. All right, those are all like real intense titles. This, he's basically saying like, yeah, you're, maybe you're one of us. He's a teacher. He's seeing all these miracles. He's like, oh, he's, he's, he's just a teacher. We saw all the miracles and that's what we took away from it, that you are a teacher come from God. This is a very arrogant assessment of Jesus. And as much as we want to be optimistic and kind and gracious to Nicodemus, we cannot be. Now, Nicodemus, it seems like he gets it in the end. But just because he gets it in the end does not mean he gets it here. Okay? And as believers in Christ, or as people trying to figure out who this Jesus is, we need to understand that this assessment of Jesus by this, this Pharisee, is not adequate. This is not saving knowledge. This is not good enough. This is someone who is still in the darkness and comes to say, hey, hey, Jesus, I'm in the darkness. Isn't that great? I'm right, right? And I'm like, no. No, you definitely are not. All right, careful. Careful as you think about, like, am I a believer or not? I have a true understanding of Jesus. 
Or am I still in the darkness and think I'm in the light? Or as we think about other people, we can be excited that like they're interested in Jesus or coming to church or, or considering these things. That is not the same as knowing Jesus and being connected to him. There's more to it than that. It's naive to cut off and say, oh, look, Nicodemus was a believer. Jesus sees this man, and he sees someone who doesn't understand anything. And so, there's this implied question that says, oh, like, I've got it right, right? Like, tell me, tell me who you are, and, and you can say yes, and we can interact on teacher-teacher level. And what does Jesus do? He, he totally blows him out of the water confronts him with his pride and the darkness in him head on. And instead of saying, no, I'm God or any of these things, he, he says this. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He turns this, he turns this around. And it's kind of sarcastic. Truly, truly, I say to you. Like, you know what you know? Well, here's what I know. And I don't think you know this. I know the qualifications for someone seeing the kingdom of God and understanding spiritual things and having qualifications to actually assess any of this stuff. And you think you're qualified to come talk about me. I don't think you're qualified to even see the kingdom of God. And before we can talk about who I am, you need to think, where do you stand before God? How are you doing? Do you really think you understand? Now, he said he gives a qualification for seeing the kingdom of God. And he says, you have to be born again. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Right. Uh, that again word is vague, intentionally vague. It can mean two things. It can mean one, again, which is translated here. It can also mean from above, from up high. And it means both of those things. Now, again, again, it makes sense. Okay, I've, I've, I've been born once and you have to be born a second time. That's how Nicodemus interprets it. But Jesus is going to stress the second one more. You have to be born, born from above, from on high. And Nicodemus, he says, how can a man be born when he is old? How can he enter a second time in his mother's womb and be born? All right. What do we think of Nicodemus here? All right. Is he just a, a literalist who is an idiot? And just doesn't get metaphorical language. And, all right, no, I don't think that's what it is. And other people don't think that's what it is. Uh, he hears this assessment that, like, to see the kingdom of God, to see eternal life, to enter heaven, to be with God forever, requires me to, to be reborn. That is so ridiculous that I'm not really going to entertain it. And so he's kind of like flat out mocking how ridiculous this notion is 
Like, what? What? You're going to be reborn? We're all entering someone's womb again and, and being born again? That is impossible, and ultimately, that's not necessary. Because this guy, like most of the Jews in the, in the times of Jesus, they already knew how to come to the kingdom of God. And it was two things. You were doing fine as long as you didn't like grossly and wantonly break the laws of God. All right, so long as you just didn't like, didn't just go all out and go crazy, you're good. And as long as you didn't flat out deny God and, and despise him. So you have to try hard, try, what, try your best to be good, and believe in God. And they thought everyone who did that was fine. Of course, they were getting to see the kingdom of God. They would see eternal life. They'd be resurrected the last day, and they would be fine. So what is Jesus saying? Jesus saying, no, after, after all your time of believing God and trying hard, rising up the ranks to become a religious leader and a teacher, you need to start all the way again at birth and live a whole different life as a whole different person, and then, then you'll be qualified. Everything you've done so far has been moot. And try again. And do it completely differently. And this time, do it spiritually, not fleshly. All right. What is this like? This is like someone comes and comes to talk to you about your house. Like a contractor comes to look at it. And you find out it's, it needs to be condemned, bulldozed, and built again. That's, 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 that's the contractor's assessment. And you're, you're looking at it like, uh, it, it looks fine. I, that's, that's not what I brought you here to do. That's what he comes here to, and says. No, it, it's, a, it's a total rehaul. Your whole life needs to be changed. And nothing, nothing gets to remain as it was. It's for that reason, when Nicodemus is hearing that, that he has this reaction that seems really dumb. It's intentionally ignorant like this. That's too ridiculous. But Jesus, he, uh, he doubles down and explains it again. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. He's restating what he'd already said, but this time it's a little bit more intensified. It's not just see the kingdom of God, it's enter. All right, how do you enter heaven? How do you enter eternal life? How do you dwell with God? You have to be born of water and the Spirit. All right, what does that mean to be born of water and the Spirit? All right, some people say, okay, it could be that you're born of water when you're born physically, and then born of the Spirit when you're born spiritually. So it's just saying you have to be born twice. All right. Uh, the problem with that is that this analogy between water and your physical birth isn't well established in Scripture. This is not how they talk about it. And it seems like this is one thing that has to happen. Right? I think it's a given that you've already been born. He's talking about something new. And that born is connected to Spirit and water. And it's one thing. 
All right, not two things. So, uh, it could be that born of water means baptized in the church. And that born of the Spirit means uh, spiritually you're born and baptized by the Holy Spirit. All right, what's wrong with that? Uh, they haven't established baptism yet. It, just, it doesn't exist as a sacrament. It's going to come later. Uh, but to talk about it here and now, to someone who knows the Old Testament well, wouldn't make sense because that's a new concept that's established later. All right, so third solution is better. We're going with this one. He's alluding to an Old Testament scripture to an Old Testament teacher. Basically saying like, hey, remember that scripture that talks about this? Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27. What does he say? Ezekiel says, uh, through the Lord, the Lord says through Ezekiel, sorry. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. All right, this is one of the few passages that combines the Holy Spirit and water in Scripture. And it talks about one concept in two different ways. That there's this thing that's going to happen where you are washed clean from all of your sins and your idolatry. You'll be washed, and cleansed. And coinciding with that is you'll put the Holy Spirit inside of you. And you'll be given a new heart to replace your heart of stone. That you might be given true love and are able to live differently. That, that then becomes the Valley of Dry Bones immediately afterwards, which we'll talk about. So, that's what he's saying. He's saying you need to be utterly cleansed from your sins, and you need to be received the Holy Spirit such that you are a completely new person, reborn, given a brand new heart. That's the qualification for entering the kingdom of God, for finding eternal life, being this new person in Christ. All right. He then goes on. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it is coming from or where it goes. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. All right, what's he saying? He's saying that people born in the flesh they're ready for a fleshly kingdom. But if you want to enter a spiritual kingdom, you need to be born of spirit, of the Holy Spirit. And nothing you do in the flesh physically is going to equip you for life in heaven. It's not going to be good enough. No, you have to be born again. And he gives this analogy, and he says that it's like the wind. Being born of the Spirit, and those born of the Spirit are like the, the wind, that it blows, it blows wherever it wants to. You can't see it. You can't control it. You can see its effects. 
that's basically saying like, yeah, you need the spiritual rebirth and you can't capture it. You can't control it, but it's going to come upon certain people and they, they will be qualified to enter the kingdom of God. Illustration time. All right. All right. Back to the future. All right. Think about back to the future. All right. Back to the future. All right. So Marty McFly, he accidentally uh, goes back into the past. Which is, I don't know why it's back to the future. It's, no one understands. Um, all right. So he accidentally uses up all of the plutonium in his, uh, in his time machine and goes back to the past and gets stuck there. His life is over. He is done. And the only thing that can get him back to his normal life is the equivalent of a lightning bolt hitting his time machine. All right, he needs massive amounts of power to enable him to get to his life. But what's the problem? How on earth do I find a lightning bolt and get it to hit my time machine at the right time as I'm going 70, 70, 77 miles per hour? Is that what it is? 88, I'm sorry. Wrong, wrong double number. All right. Uh, all right it, and that, that's why I think Nicodemus is like, wait, that's a level of entering the kingdom of God that I can't control. I need supernatural power to get eternal life and be turned into a wholly new person. Now, what is, there, what is the saving grace of Back to the Future? They know when lightning is coming. They know the time and the place where the power the power will rain down from on high and enable all of this to happen. And in very much the same way, Jesus then turns to himself and he says, you know what? You, you need all this to happen. You cannot make it happen. But thankfully, there is a conduit which all of the power of God so that this could happen has come. So our final point, Jesus shares his own spiritual power and qualifications to make all of this a reality. Verse 9, Nicodemus said, how can these things be? Why would the qualifications be this high? How could I possibly make it? How is anyone entering the kingdom of God? Verse 10, Jesus answered him, are you a teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness of what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. What does he say? He says, I have been explaining all these things. And you come to me saying, hey, we already know who you are based upon your miracles. And he's saying, you didn't have to interpret it. Because people were telling you who I was. We had John saying, I'm the, I'm the Lamb of God. Come to take away the sins of the world. He has been testifying that, that there is life in him and that those who receive him maybe they find eternal life. He's saying who he is, and the problem is that Nicodemus, instead of hearing the testimony, which is what is truly required, decides for himself who Jesus is, and he misses the boat. We have been speaking. You have not listened. And then Jesus goes and gives him, uh, talks about, Truly, things from heaven, things from above, 
If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? All right, this is, this is kind of an insult. Because what he's saying, he's saying all that Holy Spirit reborn stuff, that's only the earthly stuff. That's the stuff you should have get and gotten from the Old Testament. That's like baseline that you are a sinner and you need to be saved. And how dare you be a teacher if you didn't even get that stuff. And if you can't get that stuff, which I've been saying, and John has been saying, then how are you ever going to understand heavenly things? And how could I share with you who I truly am? That I'm the one like past, present, and future. That I'm the, that I'm the incarnate son of God. That beyond us is a kingdom of the new heavens and new earth where sin is no more and we are glorified and will dwell with God in perfect unity forever. You're not qualified for any of that. Because you won't even receive that you are a sinner. You don't even understand what is in the heart of man. You really think that you, will, you just in your earthly dwelling can make it to heaven and you are a fool. But Jesus, he's, even as he condemns this man for his foolishness, he gives him a taste of the heavenly world. Given the taste of the heavenly glory and who he is, he says, verse 13, No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And what is, he says, yeah, all this stuff is like really far from you, but it's not far from the Son of Man. That I know about heavenly realities because I've been there. And I have come down. And I'm here with you now. And I, I can make it happen. I can tell you if you'll listen. I can open your eyes to heavenly realities. I can, I'm like the conduit that can bring all of this power to you. Verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. He jumps to this really, really old story. Numbers 21, where all of God's people, they're complaining and they're faithless. And so God sends a bunch of serpents to bite them until they die. All right, harsh. All right, but just. And what does Moses do? Moses has a bronze serpent crafted, put on a stick, and lifts up the stick. And he tells people, if you look at the bronze serpent, you won't die, you will live. All right. He's given this really obscure hint to this guy, hoping that Nicodemus will get it. What is it saying? It's saying that, yeah, you're all under judgment. You were doomed to die. But that picture of judgment and sin and destruction is going to be lifted up and become the source of life for you. Right? This will become the lightning rod through which God will offer all of this power of forgiveness and 
grace and mercy and love, Jesus Christ lifted up on the cross to come sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. That, that is how you access this. That is the one event in human history that allows you access to this power of the Holy Spirit if you will do one thing, if you will believe. And the implication is, yes, I will be lifted up on the cross and I will die for sins and I will cleanse you and I will give you the Holy Spirit. But then I will be lifted up. I'll be lifted up from from the death and graves. I'll be resurrected. And I was lifted up to pay for sins. I was lifted up to give you life. And then I will be lifted up and ascending into heaven that I might give you entrance into the kingdom of God. This is the Jesus that is presented to Nicodemus. That he is the one way to heaven. He is the one solution to the heart of man. He is the one way to be reborn, transformed, and equipped to see the kingdom of God and enter it. Will you receive him? All right, really, really. If you think you're going to the kingdom of God because you have believed in God and tried your hardest, Jesus is saying that is not how it happens. No, you need to be cleansed from all of your sins. You need to get the Holy Spirit. You need to be reborn through faith in Christ as the only means of spiritual power. The only means of forgiveness, the only means of cleansing from sin. If you have not put your faith in Christ, you are not entering the kingdom of God. You are not seeing the kingdom of God. And you are still in darkness. Now, if you have believed in Jesus Christ, then all this has happened for you. In spite of your wicked heart and your rebellion and your sin, You have been washed clean. You have been reborn. You are no longer all of those things in sin. You are new in Jesus Christ. And you are ascended above your sins. You are ascended above death. And you are promised to be ascended into glory with him forever. That is his promise. That is who he is. That is what he does for us. That is the love of God and Jesus Christ through the Spirit. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we praise you and thank you for Jesus. We thank you for sending him. We thank you that what we could not do as fleshly, earthly human people, you've enabled through your Son, Jesus Christ. May we believe in him, run to him, trust in him as the power of salvation and eternal life, as the one path to enter heaven, as the one means of gaining the Holy Spirit. Father, would you give us
great faith that we may trust in Jesus Christ and him alone. Would you give us hearts that can see the darkness within us and repent and change? And Father, would you give us great love for Jesus who would be lifted up for us? Would we lift him up in praise and glory and adoration now for all that he has done? It is in him's name we pray. Amen.